0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs, and this is The Great America Show. Welcome. The Manhattan DA, Alvin Bragg, is despised, of course, in MAGA world. And his efforts to prosecute Donald Trump may have just blown up in a New York courtroom. One honest man, attorney Robert Costello, testifying against Michael Cohen, who is the star witness in Bragg's persecution of President Trump. Costello revealed that Bragg had, in effect, hidden evidence that undercut Michael Cohen's testimony against the former president. And Bragg himself, according to some legal experts now, may be in legal jeopardy. At any rate, Cohen made no appearance to rebut Costello's testimony, and Bragg halted further proceedings of the grand jury. For what reason, we don't really know. Some say Bragg has a mutiny among the assistant district attorneys in his office, and they think that he has too weak of a case to proceed. Bragg could be retreating in his reckless decision to go after a former president. Or perhaps he's simply assessing next steps as he pursues yet another attack on Trump in what has been seven years of unrelenting and baseless Marxist-dim political persecution of the former president. Also, the Daily Mail in possession of a letter that seems to show Michael Cohen admitting that President Trump never gave him any money for the money Cohen gave Stormy Daniels, a porno star. Meanwhile, DeSantis sinks further in the polls, Trump with a commanding lead, despite the Marxist Dems' legal assault from three cases they brought in New York alone, one case as well in Florida, another in Georgia. You'd think there'd be enough honest attorneys and judges and lawyers in this country to stop the Marxist attacks on President Trump after seven long years. But folks, to this point, there aren't. Not in the American Bar Association, not in the prosecutor's office or the major law firms. And in Moscow, President Xi Jinping wrapping up his visit with Vladimir Putin. The two totalitarian rulers renewing their strategic partnership, Xi vowing to preside over an anti American, anti European world order, and to be, at the same time, a peace broker between Russia and Ukraine. As would be expected, Putin agreed. And unexpectedly, President Biden immediately welcomed Xi's efforts to broker an end to the more than year-long war that Russia began with its invasion of Ukraine on February 24 of last year. Xi is expanding his influence and China's power all around the globe. A month ago, surprising the world by bringing Saudi Arabia and Iran together in an alliance. What's next? Our guest today is Russ Tice. Russ was a National Security Agency intelligence analyst for almost 20 years, a Sino-Russia expert as well, and a whistleblower once he found out that the NSA was spying on American citizens. Russ, great to have you back with us. This is our third discussion now as we explore and survey the surveillance state that America has become. Let's start with your reaction to what seems to be another successful extension of Chinese power that's challenging the United States and Europe all around the world.
1: It sort of looks like that in the past where the United States has been sort of the um, the premier arbiter of disagreements around the world and that everyone looked to us for leadership. Uh, if you look at the, the Arab Accords with President Trump, that now... Our leadership is no longer deemed to be credible or viable or competent, and that now the world is looking elsewhere, and unfortunately, that elsewhere may be communist China.
0: And it looks as though communist China is set to continue on this path to to domination. Xi Jinping is to be at the at the latest into. into Moscow to talk with Vladimir Putin, uh, as I understand it, next week. And at the top of those discussions will be their strategic partnership and, of course, the war, Russia's war on Ukraine. Your thoughts about what would happen uh, in terms of superpower dominance here if Xi Jinping were to, to roll off another major diplomatic victory, such as resolving uh, at least a truce between Ukraine and Russia?
1: So far, uh, the, the warmongers amongst us um, in Congress uh, have been saying that, um, that there, can a, there cannot be an arbiter, a, a peace, that it, have, there has to be victory at all costs. Yet they're not willing to define what victory is. Is victory another hundred thousand Ukrainians dead? Is, you know, or or two hundred thousand or three hundred thousand more? What is the definition of victory? To me, it's it's just plain silly. And apparently, um, there's another. You know, the world sees that the the, the and we're we're what we're giving them. Over $100 billion of, of munitions, and or Lord knows how much money and how much, that, how much of that is, is ending up in uh, uh, Zelensky's uh, bank account in Zurich, Switzerland, because of the corruption that they're well known for. The world is turning to China, and, and China is showing that, uh, that they're willing to step up and, and make us look foolish in, in our stupidity.
0: And uh, this administration has been enormously helpful in that effort, uh, including, as you alluded to, uh, what we're doing with Ukraine. Uh, And we have heard now just the announcement that the White House will not send F-16 fighter jets uh, to Ukraine. And it's curious what that uh, might uh, portend. We know the battle is going is intense in eastern Ukraine and the Donetsk region and Donbass, this is a moment where it looks like uh, there is a possibility of a roll-up on the part of the Russians of the Ukrainian forces, at least uh, in the eastern part of the country. Uh, What what happens, we will see, but this does not look good right now uh, for the Ukrainians. And yet, we don't hear anything from President Biden. We don't hear anything from Jake Sullivan, his national security advisor. Suddenly, Tony Blinken is not available for photo ops. Uh, and again, the foreign policy team of and national security team of the, of the Biden regime uh, has gone radio silent and also uh, invisible. We'll see what this all means, but certainly the question has to be asked. To what degree right now our intelligence agencies have failed either the national security team and the diplomatic team uh, represented by the Secretary of State, the national security advisor, and the president himself? Uh, Is this a failure of leadership and policy on their part uh, singularly, or is there also some relationship to the national security uh, intelligence uh, services and agencies. Your thoughts?
1: I would certainly hope that NSA and our CIA are still doing their job overseas, uh, aside from their n- new job to spy domestically on Americans, that um, that they're providing intelligence on on what's happening in in uh, the Ukraine, uh, the Crimea and the donbas and and the and the surrounding area. Um, I, I know if I was still in the business, I'd be spending probably an awful lot of time with my satellites right now, um, looking at all these things. I, I I believe this is probably a failure in leadership. They're probably being told that um, of what's going on, the the massing of troops by the Russians, and up until now, the Russians have been fighting been fighting this with one hand tied behind their back, and I think they're getting ready to unleash their their full force. Um, in a, in a uh, Klausowitz sort of manner, um, because they're tired of of dealing with uh, of you know having uh, their troops sniped on and and some of the issues that have happened so far with their losses, and I think they want this to be over in in a in a grand way, and they they have resources they they can bring in their troops from Siberia. They have the ability to put mass, and, and at this point, and and I think there's a lot of the losses that the Ukrainians are suffering are being hidden uh, by our press and and by the State Department and the military and the intelligence community. So in that respect, uh, our intelligence community is keeping their mouth shut. Uh, they're probably telling the leadership what's going on, but the leadership is is still full full-fledged, you know, you know. You know, uh, nads to the wall on the, on what's going on here, and you got to wonder if it's not the the war profiteers that are that are driving the show on this particular thing because they're probably making billions of dollars and and uh,
0: yeah, what's the these what, One of the sad consequences of war always is that the the profiteers uh, are both motivated uh, toward war. Uh, and certainly, uh, it is uh, the only group of people who benefit uh, generally from these conflicts. let's Let's turn now to uh, you mentioned the the domestic operations of the NSA, the other intelligence agencies And, and it's striking because one doesn't uh, until this <laughs> until of late, think of the domestic uh, operations of the NSA or the CIA, or any number of agencies, but suddenly we see their footprints uh, and their tracks uh, almost everywhere, and certainly in politics. Uh, the, the suggestion that, uh, that Leon Panetta made last week that uh, Donald Trump would uh, be a national security uh, disaster, uh, here, let's hear his reasoning. Uh, as he talks about Trump and his prospects in twenty twenty four I believe that his whole first america first approach uh, to foreign policy his uh, his desire to, to to essentially withdraw from the world in terms of a leadership position for the United States would be devastating to our foreign policy at this point in time in the twenty first century uh, look in the end uh, I really I really believe that he's a loser uh, and that even if he gets the nomination, he will lose. But the mere fact that he would be nominated by the Republican Party uh, would be a scary step uh, in the 21st century. A scary step in the 21st century. I don't know that Leon Panetta has considered whether or not... uh, 2016 through 2020 was in the 21st century, this president turned out to be the best in modern history, uh, including the 20th century. Uh, your your reaction to the idea of national security, presidential politics, and a clear statement by a former, uh, former national security official himself, uh, Leon Panetta, uh, talking about a president who would be a disaster. That That is a very uh, provocative statement uh, coming from him. Do you suppose there's an implicit threat in that?
1: Uh, it sounds like fear-mongering to me. They're trying to scare people into thinking that, uh, that President Trump would, would be some kind of uh, loose cannon with the uh, the nuclear football in his hand. I wonder if he realizes that uh, Mr. Trump has already been president of the United States for four years. Uh, we did not enter a war. Matter of fact, he did his—he—he uh, he started reducing the war and he took down the ISIS in in northern and in Syria and um, the the, uh, the peace accords that happened between Israel and the Arab states. I just don't understand. Uh, you know, does he do? I think he he must. Think the people don't understand? They've forgotten everything that Trump has done when he was in office. Well, this and is the—they're the... going to put this label on him that he's—he's he's basically some, uh, um, you know, uh, war monger that wants to, to to bring us all, you know, to our ruin, when when his side of the fence are, are marching towards a nuclear conflict with Russia. Uh, it makes no sense to me how anyone could, could makes buy no this, uh, this nonsense.
0: Except this is part of what look like uh, and sound like and feel like uh, uh, psychological operations on the part of the Democratic Party uh, and their president, uh, who with the uh, with the Senate right now are in control of the federal government this is bizarre because as you say here was a president who was withdrawing our troops from abroad who was refusing to get into uh, police wars uh, who absolutely insisted on america first policies and foreign policy as well as economic policy uh, and it was and it succeeded for 4 years and uh, and a bit beyond until biden could take control This is a remarkable statement to me, and frankly, it concerns me that here he is talking about national security, Leon Panetta, one of the deans of the Democrat uh, uh, Party, uh, talking in absolute uh, opposition to the reality, as you pointed out, uh, a history that uh, shows what a terrific, what a great president Mr. Trump was. So... Is there a role here for intelligence agencies? Why is this uh, under discussion, do you suppose?
1: Well, obviously, the, the, these nihilists are, are gaslighting the American people. Uh, a, a role domestically for our intelligence services, especially NSA and, and CIA, is to keep our hands off of domestic politics. They should, should have nothing to say in this. We shouldn't be... Uh, Affording one party or another access to the communications of their adversaries. Uh, it's all hands off. Our job is to let the American people decide who they want as president of the United States and ultimately provide that president with the best intelligence uh, that, so that the president can make the best choices you know, for foreign policy and and for ultimately the national security of the country. So in that respect. You know, this whole thing is basically a, a psychological operation on the part of Mr. Panetta and and his his ilk to uh, to throw the wool over our eyes as far as um, Mr. Trump having no no possibility of winning. Um, I like I I think I mentioned in the past. Um, I haven't been to one of Mr. Trump's rallies. You know, I kind of like to go to one. Um, my wife certainly wants to go to one, but. Um, I, I seem to think that's uh, even in, in Podog nowhere out in the middle of a uh, flyover country about 30,000 people will show up to see the president uh, president Trump. So you know this this is just silly nonsense that these people are trying to throw out there.
0: So this this silly nonsense in this case uh, from uh, from Leon Panetta just to remind everyone when i talked about his role in the national security apparatus it includes being the secretary of defense as well as the director of the cia uh, you would think that there would be specific uh, constraints uh, that he would follow at least uh, so as to avoid any confusion but we now know that you know 51 cia uh, uh, well five uh, former cia directors participated in the famous letter of 51 intelligence veterans who dismissed the Hunter Laptop as uh, Russian disinformation. Uh, intervention in an election by the intelligence services, straightforwardly. Uh, your thoughts?
1: Well, of course, that was done to uh, to influence uh, the election and to make sure that the American people uh, believed that the Hunter Laptop uh, issue was something that was a, a, a Russian a plot or a Russian plant to have uh, President Trump elected. Um, interesting, you know, the, the the one fellow on that list that was both the former director of NSA and became the director of CIA was the guy that I tangled with and ultimately got fired by uh, at NSA it was Michael Hayden. Ultimately, you know, and he and he matter of fact, he was made. The director of CIA, when he was still in uniform, when normally the director of CIA is a civilian, not a military officer. So you know his, his um, reward um, for, for his domestic spying under the Bush administration was to be promoted to a four-star general and to be made head of CIA. And back in those days, the head of CIA was basically considered the head of the entire intelligence community. So um, the devil pays well.
0: The devil does pay well. And in this case, the, the devil was very active in the 2020 election. The intervention that uh, I was talking about, we've seen that from the FBI National Security uh, Division. We have watched this the uh, attorneys general of uh, the Biden administration, as well as the attorney general under Donald Trump. Uh, they have had significant influence uh, over uh, elections, bar more than uh, certainly uh, Merrick Garland, but still uh, involvement. And to think that uh, you, as a whistleblower, uh, were retaliated against by the NSA. You were actually, if we, I think this is accurate, the first NSA whistleblower. And you you stepped forward in two thousand five. To make certain that the American people knew that our intelligence agencies, and specifically the NSA, were uh, wiretapping, surveilling American citizens. Tell us about uh, what motivated you at that moment uh, to to bring that to the to the public's uh, attention. Uh, and, and by the way, again, thank you for doing so.
1: Well, thank you for that. Um... Ultimately, I'd found out what was going on in uh, late uh, 2002 and early 2003. Uh, we were fighting the war. I spent a lot of time at the agency, and I found out by accident that, that this was going on. Basically, I was working a black operation, a black op, and I needed uh, support, um, intelligence support, and I contacted uh, an NSA um, element. And found out that uh, domestic spying was going on uh, via our satellite capabilities. Then, ultimately, from there, I contacted some of my friends at the at the Fort or NSA, and they told me, "Russ, this is far worse than just than just your 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 angle of this." And then he, they brought in the uh, the domestic side as far as the uh, the uh, RF communications that, that are done via a microwave and, Ultima, and as well as our fiber optics communications that basically run our entire communications for domestically. And then we realized this thing was all-inclusive, and that's when I was like, oh, my goodness. Um, I ultimately made a call to that same unit that I talked to to try to pin this down after things were, were winding down with the war. And I believe NSA Security Office listened in on that phone conversation immediately after that. I was uh, called in for an emergency psychological evaluation, and ultimately, th- this was them telling me that we know what you've done. We know we we know you know.
0: What had you done we, at that point?
1: What had I done? I'd found out what I'd found out that they were violating the law and the constitution. Had so, you also so they, talked
0: to to news outlets?
1: Not at that point, no. Right. Not at that point. So so then they um, they suspended my security clearance. And they sent me to the motor pool driving NSA vehicles to, to be repaired or what have you, which was this my punishment. They,
0: this is what they did, they, the top officials of the National Security Agency, to one of their most outstanding senior uh, intelligence analysts. Sent this you was to punishment. the motor pool?
1: To the motor my pool. Now, so I, this is basically them telling me. We expect you to pay your penance and to grovel to get your job back and keep your mouth shut and never m- mention a word of what you have learned, and we'll let you keep your big-time job and your big salary, and everything will be fine. Just keep your mouth shut and, and go along. So as long as basically pay my penance and, and keep my mouth shut, and it, uh, I'll tell you, Lou, and there was a period of time where – I'm, you know, you got to wake up and look at yourself in the mirror. And at some point you don't like what you see when your mouth is still shut. Um, ultimately, the trigger, the catalyst for my coming out was one February day when we got a bunch of snow. And at the motor pool, they said they gave me a, a, a sweeper and said, go, go, go wipe the snow off of like 200 vehicles. I kind of blew up and I said, no. And I said, oh, by the way, I'm going to the press. I told them right up front. Um, and that—that's what the trigger, and that was in February of 2004. So I'd like to say it was some altruistic, you know, thing that you know that, that ultimately sparked my going to the press. But but in truth, it was my being just plain pissed
0: off. Well, they—they they insulted you. They—they they did everything they could to anger you, uh, and, and they succeeded. Uh, and, and to see that kind of. Uh, pettiness and uh, uh, arrogance on the part of senior leadership in the national security agency or any other agency of this government i can't imagine any anyone uh, uh, you know worth their salt putting up with it uh, and, and the idea that they were doing that to you it, this sort of this interests me a lot because that means they didn't think very highly of their people if they thought you were the kind of people as patriots serving the United States government, who would put up with that kind of uh, of an insult. It's just, it's, it's, it's extraordinary. But then again, these are people who had decided that irrespective of the Constitution and the laws of the United States, they could spy on American citizens, aren't they?
1: They are. Uh, ironically, uh, a lot of folks at NSA are, 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 some of them are just plain geniuses. They are, their heads are I mean Einstein in the clouds, uh, right. but uh, one of the jokes at NSA is that how do you tell an introvert at NSA? An introvert is someone when he talks to you, he looks at your shoes instead of his own shoes. Um, so it's, <laughs> That's it's, great. Yeah, and it, it's it's kind of true that the, these very bright people, but but they're not they're not the hard charging, you know um, you know tiger type folks. As a matter of fact, in one of my very early uh, psyche evals, they, one of the one of the cautionary uh, almost asterisks that they put under my psychological evaluation, and this is before they did their 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 you know oh, Russ has got to be crazy nonsense, was they put in there that he's a he's a black and white thinker, um, uh, and he has a, a, an aggressive uh, personality. Uh, uh, true. Um, you know that's one thing that made me a good intelligence analyst because i would start digging into into something and intelligence analysis is sort of something where where you get you get pieces to a puzzle and sometimes the the opposition is throwing you little pieces of the puzzle that are wrong or are the wrong shape to throw you off and you've got to look at this this mosaic of of pieces of puzzle where you only maybe have 10% or less of the puzzle and you have pieces that are there to throw you off and you have to put the picture together and do your analysis. So, so you have to be aggressive in in getting the information you need to put to do a right uh, you know, to come up with the information that you need to support your right. your president. So, ultimately, um yeah, they and, and all the money that they spent on my education and all the intel courses that I took, I think I Sent you a copy of my resume, which sure. and those sure. are just some of the. And remember, all those government courses that I took were paid for by the U.S. taxpayer. So, so they're creating a very. And I was a very good analyst. So, so the American people invested in me to do my job, and I thought I was doing a good, you know, a good job for the American people. And they could have cared less by 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 saying, okay, uh, for a period of time, you're not going to do your job. You're going to be you're going to be gassing up cars at the uh, at the um, you know the motor pool um while you pay your pens well, and during that whole time someone's not doing my job
0: that's that's just uh, it's just absurd that they would behave in such a way managerially uh and, and on a human level Let, let's turn to this business of the NSA effectively the NSA is the foundation of all the other intelligence agencies when it comes to signals intelligence correct
1: that's correct. So, when all these other agencies are going for to get their information on, on, you know, if it's Carter Page or whoever whoever they're going after, they they immediately will search NSA's database for the for the communications of said person, and then they'll go, you know, two or three levels down to see who that person, who Carter Page has talked to, and ultimately go after them. Now, I I bet you once or twice, Mr. Page has talked to the president, former president, President Trump. That means President Trump is now put on the list of targeted individuals. So, so, and and that's how insidious this becomes. And not only that, but they use that same information to, to go after anybody else. Like the January 6th um, situation a couple years ago, I bet all those people – They've gone to the NSA's database and gone back for each one of those citizens to find out what their communications were, word for word, over the past so many years, to be able to throw against them. Then ultimately, now they can't bring that up in court. But what they do is what's called parallel construction, where that's the base information. And then they try to bring something from that information, and they and and they they put up a veil of, of how they ultimately found the information. Basically, they lie in court when they come up with this information because it was done unconstitutionally.
0: Well, the FBI was lying through the FISA court process itself, which they were set up to prevent precisely uh, this, that is uh, spying on American citizens without a court warrant. Uh, eventually, it turns out that was an absolute uh, artifice uh, that didn't work and was abused uh, throughout by both the court system itself uh, and the FBI, uh, when I say the court system itself, I'm talking about the judges who simply accepted by rote uh, what was put in front of them, rubber stamped it, uh, which meant there was really no uh, no protection whatsoever for the, uh, the rights of our citizens. And that goes on, you think, today, uh, despite all that has happened?
1: Absolutely, the abu- there have been abuses of and over and over again abuses, and the FISA court. Ultimately, at first, they wouldn't even they wouldn't even oh everything that you know their decisions were secret. So we would at first we didn't even know until some of the stuff after, after um, Edward Snowden came out that they leaked a little bit out, but. um the, the FISA court, you have to understand how the – there's no pushback for the FISA court. They can't – they don't have their own investigators to go into the different agencies to find out whether they're being lied to. The FISA court ultimately has become – I like using the analogy of a, a, a monkey in a black robe uh, with, uh, with, uh, with, you know the, the, with a rubber stamp. And ultimately, a piece of paper flops in front of the monkey. And it used to be the only thing the monkey could do was was decide to see a name and a body of text. They couldn't read the body of text. And then ultimately, they'd stamp approved. And once a little bell would go off, a a banana chip would roll down. The monkey pops the banana chip in his mouth, and everyone claps, and then the next piece of paper plops in. Now the FISA court is a blind monkey. (laughs) With the papers flopping in now it doesn't even see the name doesn't see it by just stamps it and, and gets his banana chip That's the FISA court today Ultimately, you know the archetype for all this goes back even beyond W. Bush with with the FBI's national security letters Where they would we were they just come up to some business and say we want all the information on this This uh, person and here's a national security letter and in the national security letter It would say you cannot say a word to anyone that we've given you this order to give all your information that you know on this targeted individual. So, so that that happened even before uh, 9/11. So, it, you know, they, they, once the Patriot Act happened, it was just sort of, a, you know, a jump up from what they were doing in the past.
0: Well, obviously, uh, we're looking at a renewal of the surveillance uh, sections uh, 702 uh, already. Uh, you know, that is already underway, the preparations for it. Uh, the, the likelihood is it will be rubber stamped by this Congress. I hope that is not the case, uh, Section 215. Give us your judgment about those two sections, their impact on the rights of American citizens, uh, and the ability of the NSA uh, to to surveil and to disseminate the intelligence that they gather.
1: Well, I think uh, the first one was Section 215 under the Patriot Act, where they where they brought up this that they were allowed to go after quote tangible things. Well, a tangible thing could be anything, ultimately, and and only and their uh, the provocation to go after tangible things was was relevance. Well, the Fourth Amendment says it's not relevance; it's probable cause, and ultimately, if you have probable cause, you need to get a warrant before you get any information on people. So the Patriot Act from the very beginning was just, just an affront to our Constitution. Uh, then comes you know, 702, which now means that they can, uh, they can do internal collections, uh, what's called upstream and downstream collections. So in the upstream, you get the to and the from, and from the downstream, you get the to, from, and about. Um, so uh, of, of, tar- of whoever you target. So they're they're right. covering basically everything. Uh, and like I said the last time, it, it doesn't matter, you know, wh- whether whether 702 is um, basically sunset or not. NSA is going to to spy and and collect everything word for word on every American citizen
0: um, because they've never been held accountable. And 215. What do you think should be the disposition of the of the Congress?
1: Well, I think the entire Patriot Act needs to be revoked. Um, it's it's an affront. Uh, I mean, I understand it was done in, in fear uh, after the attacks of 9-11. As far as I know, it hasn't been taken out of the Patriot Act. So that, that tangible thing's uh, designator still exists, which means everything. And we're not talking about just – we're talking about literally they could sneak into your house – and 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 look through it when you were on vacation, and look through everything in your house, and you wouldn't have a clue, just as if you were, you know, a, a, a you know a spy a, a, from the from the People's Republic of China. Um, so, and and take pictures or whatever of anything you have. They can look into your bank account, your credit card purchases, you know, who you date. Um, Every everything you do, how how much gasoline you use in your car, your odometer, um, you know, ultimately turn on your your um, what do you the, the thing in your the emergency thing in your car that um, even when you don't have you, know, you haven't paid to have that thing so,
0: on. You know, so the question arises, was, Russ, all of that of the citizen. But why is there any question then if the NSA and our intelligence agencies and our national security agencies, our law enforcement agencies have this capacity, why is there any discussion about what has happened? Uh, why could the NSA not give us a, a an accounting, for example, on uh, how the vote went in Pennsylvania or uh, what is going on uh, that uh, that? We didn't have advance notice of the invasion uh, of Ukraine, or if we did, what was the reasoning and communication amongst the relevant uh, agencies, departments, and uh, individuals in our national intelligence and national security teams to have permitted that war to begin to begin with? Uh, why is it that there would not be certain knowledge of what was happening? Because if we can get everything, including tangible intelligence, why could we not have almost a, an immediate a forensic investigation of elections to verify them? Uh, why could this not be turned to positive use? And, uh, or should we just simply assume that the intelligence agencies themselves were used to intervene in elections?
1: Well, I think you already know the answer to that, Lou. Of, of course, they—they they apparently were turned against a—you know—a a certain element that they decided um, was not to their advantage to have in power. Um, you know, it's and they and NSA does have that information. NSA has all those thirty thousand emails that were deleted by Hillary Clinton. They have all this information that you know on on these different people. Uh, and they're going to use it to their advantage. I believe to blackmail people to make sure that, that the deep state cabal that they run is going to, to stay in power. You know, one of the things, uh, one of the papers that I ran across, where, where NSA, where I realized NSA was uh, was targeting all these important information people. They were they were they targeted the Supreme Court, the. Um, Congress, the uh, this, uh, the FISA court, uh, all kinds of um, uh, big-wig industrials, law firms, lawyers, the press, NSA was targeting all these individuals way back in 2002, 2003, 2004 timeframe. Like I mentioned previously, when when Barack Obama was running for Senate, NSA started uh, wiretap you know tapping into all his communications in 2004 before he became president. Another a, a, a list of, of of numbers associated with uh, uh, an individual was uh, Samuel Alito before he became a justice of the Supreme Court. So they knew that he was being considered, and then they wiretapped everything that Samuel Alito was doing. Well, why would they do that? The obvious answer is to for blackmail, and obviously what they're doing with all this information is to just like J. Edgar Hoover did is to use it to their own advantage and to make sure that the, the dollars keep pumping into the intelligence community and ultimately the lifeblood of what we now know as the deep state.
0: You know, we're going to, we're going to bear down on on much of this and drill down on much of this as we continue our conversation over the, the coming weeks, uh, Russ. But I, I just, I, I think most people don't understand that as you said as we began this conversation in the previous episode, that the NSA has a record of every electronic transaction and communication uh, ever made by any citizen. Is that a fair statement, summation of what you said?
1: At first, at, at the beginning, uh, they could only get metadata for everybody. And, and then they would target people like they were targeting Barack Obama, the, the, the Congress, Supreme Court. Oh, then, then, in those, and when they would target someone, they could get everything, and they were. But they couldn't do every communication. You know, like a little Jenny talking to to Julie about how cute Johnny is in in middle school. You know, um, most people you know don't care about that communication. But today, NSA is even getting that little conversation about how cute Johnny is. So it's everything. It's being done right now, and that started happening when they opened up that facility. And this was all all done quietly. And that was December of 2012 is when that facility uh, in in, uh, in Bluffdale, Utah, was opened up to be able to store a huge storage facility over over a million okay. square feet of storage of computer storage space. Um, when that was opened up, it, the uh, it meant everything is going to be stored every word-for-word, every communication in perpetuity.
0: Well, that is sobering as well as alarming, and it is fascinating, and that's going to be the subject of our next discussion. Uh, Russ, we appreciate everything that you've done for the country. Uh, As you worked uh, for the NSA, we appreciate everything you did as a whistleblower uh, and your perspectives uh, on, on life since then. Uh, and what we are looking at now and witnessing in this country uh, as we are coming to terms in many cases uh, with the American people being the enemies uh, designated by the agencies of our federal government uh, as enemies of the government. Uh, We're going to look into that, uh, the weaponization of our government against American citizens as we continue the conversation. Uh, Russ Tice, as always, God bless you, and thanks so much.
1: Well,
0: thanks for having me on, Lou. Russ Tice. We'll be talking with Russ each week to assess national security issues around the world and their influence on America. Here tomorrow, please be with us, the Gateway Pundit's Jim Hoff. Please join us. Till then, God bless you and God bless America. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars,
1: used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars.